everybody. It's good to be with you today. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the pastor of preaching and vision here at the Austin Stone. And if you're new or you're visiting today, um, we're a church that traditionally goes verse by verse through books of the Bible. And right now we're in the gospel of Matthew chapter 7, and we're in verse 1. So if you've got a Bible today, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We're back in the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Um, I'm going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. Now, Matthew chapter 7, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus stood up sort of on the side of a mountain. He gave his signature sermon. It was spoken 2,000 years ago, still very applicable to us today. And we come to the verse in Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus makes the statement, do not judge lest you be judged. Do not judge lest you be judged. And that's an interesting verse. And I say it's interesting for a few reasons. One, because it's the verse in the Bible that is probably most quoted and most well known by people that are not followers of Jesus. Okay. Well, Matthew, or rather John 3.16 is probably the most well known, most quoted scripture verse by believers. Do not judge is probably the most quoted and well-known by people that are not followers of Christ. And you most often hear them say that when a Christian is speaking into the culture or some sin in the culture, and they'll kind of respond back, hey, Jesus said, don't judge me. Don't be judgmental, okay? And so kind of interesting for us to get to the bottom of what it means. Another reason that's interesting is I've noticed that it's it's a verse that's being increasingly used by believers that are sort of marginal believers and they use it to justify their lifestyle that is contrary to God's word. I have a young man that I was friends with for a pretty good amount of time here at the Stone and was a strong Christian and then began to sort of struggle with his faith. And um, he got married and he, uh, the marriage very, very quickly began to sort of fall apart. They were not, they were not getting along and and, and even though he had just gotten married and he was a believer and he knew what the scripture said about marriage and what God's view of divorce was, he wanted out. He wasn't happy. And, um, and we had a relationship and so, and, and I'm his pastor, so I challenged him on it. And I walked him through God's view of marriage and God's view of divorce and pointed out to him that as a, as a believer that he did not have biblical grounds for divorce. And his response to me was that I was judging him. That I, that I was being judgmental towards him, even though I was his pastor and his friend and simply walking him through what the scripture said, he said I was being judgmental. And so sometimes as believers, um, we're accused of this and we're not even really doing it. We're just being pastors, being friends. But the other reason it's interesting is because I think, I think a lot of us are doing it. And, and it's, it's, we're we find ourselves in a cultural climate here in the United States that's growing increasingly toxic. And, and this is a verse that what I'm sort of noticing is that even committed Christians are kind of just throwing out the window and we're not doing it. And, and a lot of us, if not all of us at times, are, are sort of improperly judging people that disagree with us on a variety of subjects, both out, outside the church and inside the church. And so what we're gonna do today is we're going to look at the words of Jesus, we're going to walk through them, we're going to see what he says, we're going to get our minds around what exactly he means when he says, do not judge other people, and we're going to do that with the hope that we can leave here and we look more like Christ, 
in the way that we interact with folks that have hurt us or we disagree with, okay? Now, this particular verse, do not judge, right? This, the temptation when you're, when you're hearing a sermon like this is to think, man, I know a lot of people that need to hear this sermon, right? You're, matter of fact, if, if that's like the first thing that crossed your mind was, man, I know four people that need to hear this, you're probably judgmental and you need to hear it, right? And, you know, you're, it, the temptation is like, man, I, my mother-in-law needs to hear this or my roommate needs to hear this or my, that guy next to me, my husband, he needs to hear this. Don't do that. Just listen to Jesus' words and think deeply about how you and where you need to apply this in your own life, okay? So let's jump in. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, judge not that you will not be judged. Okay, another translation says, do not judge. Just straightforward, do not judge, lest you be judged. And he says, for with the, with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's, there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, when you hear these verses, it's important to remember who Jesus is sort of addressing when he's saying these things. Now, he's clearly still speaking to us. That's how it works. But in the original context of the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically here, he's talking directly to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and, and Jesus had a big problem with these guys. He had a big problem with the Pharisees. And the reason that he had a problem with them is because they... Um, had become what's called self-righteous. Okay, the Pharisees considered themselves experts on all things God. They considered themselves sort of the authority on God's law. And so what they did, because they thought they were the experts and they thought they were the authorities on God's law, is sort of throughout the centuries, they began to come up with their own interpretations of how God's law ought to be lived out to the point that if anybody didn't live up to their standards, anybody didn't meet their standards of how they thought the law to be lived out, then they looked down on them and they considered them massive sinners and they were not really good Jews. And guys, that's classic self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when I, um, because I do A, A, B, and C, I'm good and I'm right. And because you don't do A, B, and C, you're bad and you're wrong. And that's what they were doing. One of, the, one of the best examples of sort of this self-righteous judgmental attitude is in the parable that Jesus taught of the Pharisee and the tax collector that went into the temple to pray. And Jesus said that two guys came up to the temple to pray. And the first one was um, a Pharisee, guys I just talked about, and the other was this tax collector. Now the Pharisees, again, they were experts on all things God, or at least they thought they were. And here's the deal with tax collectors, is tax collectors were considered evil. 
they were the bad guys in the culture. They were the ones that, that everybody didn't like and, and they were considered really bad sinners because they you know, took people's money and that sort of thing. So Jesus ha- tells them how both of them came to pray. Now, what's interesting is, is how the Pharisee sort of prayed. Jesus said that he walked into the middle of the temple where everybody was looking and he sort of prayed out loud so that everybody could hear him pray. And this is what he prayed. He prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. I thank you that I'm not like these other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. And then he starts saying all the good stuff he does. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get, so on and so forth. Okay, this is, this is a classic textbook definition of a self-righteous, judgmental spirit. Okay, he thought he was so righteous. He thought he was so righteous. This dude stands up in front of everybody and he says, God, I thank you that I'm better than this guy, this, this tax collector here. And we sort of hear that story. And we think, my goodness, that guy is a punk, <laughs> right? And you think that, that is one of the most horrible things I've ever heard in my life. That, that's terrible. I would never, ever, ever want to be like that guy. But, but here's the thing that I want you to hear today is that I fear that a lot of us, if not all of us at times, are more like that Pharisee than we want to admit. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that I think maybe all of us at times are more like that guy than we want to admit? And I think the answer, it really, I'm going to present it in the form of a question to you. And, and why is the number one verse quoted by people that do not follow Christ, this verse about being judgmental? I'm serious, Why? Why is that the thing that they know and why is that the thing that they're quoting? And I think it might be because at times we're not engaging the sin of the world like Jesus engaged it, but we're engaging it like the Pharisees and we're coming across with this judgmental spirit, this self-righteousness. And by the way, that is how, that's how you know if you struggle with self-righteousness, the way you know that you might have self-righteousness that you're dealing with, it always comes out of you in a judgmental spirit. If, If you struggle with having a judgmental spirit towards other people, that might be a good sign that you are personally dealing with self-righteousness. Okay, but why, why, do, why do people that are far from God, why is that the one they, the verse that they know? Again, I think nobody likes to be called out on their sin, but I think the bigger reason is this, is I think Christians throughout history have been quick to point out the flaws and the failures of both people outside the church and inside the church before we've dealt with our own flaws and our own failures. I mean, that's just historical Christianity is we've got a really bad habit of looking as individuals in a group of looking and pointing out the flaws of the people in our lives before we deal with the issues and the flaws in our own life. And that is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And again, I think we're coming across like them. And so church, we gotta get to the bottom of what Jesus means by this when he says, do not judge. We've gotta get to the bottom of what he means when he says that so that we can start living this out and look more like Christ than we do the Pharisees, okay? Now, before we jump into the text real quick, I wanna throw one quick rinse in this. And, and I want you to think about this. Jesus very clearly says, do not judge other people. But at the same time, the Bible is full 
of instances where it calls us to engage and to fight against the injustices of society, okay? The Bible tells us not to judge. The scripture tells us not to judge. Jesus tells us not to judge. But at the same time, the New Testament is full of examples of Christians being um, called to address sin in one another and in the church and deal with it. Okay, let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 5.11. Don't turn there. Just let me read it to you real quick. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church. And he said, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother, and that means Christian, who bears the name brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality, that's ongoing sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, or a viler, a drunker, or a swindler, He says, do not even eat with such a one. And you read that and you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) That sounds pretty judgmental. You know, we, we, we read clearly Jesus says that we're not supposed to judge people, but at the very same time, the scripture just said that we're not even supposed to associate with Christians or so called Christians that are living immoral, unrepentant lives. And so, guys, how do we be faithful? Um, How do we be faithful to be people? that fight injustice in society? How do we be faithful to the call of scripture to engage and, and, and fight for the purity of the church without falling into this sort of self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental spirit, okay? Well, Jesus tells us, so let's jump in really quickly. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter seven, verse one. I'm gonna quickly walk through these verses, give us some application, then we'll be done. So let's read the first one, Matthew seven, one. Jesus says, do not judge or you will be judged. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Now, an important question I think we need to get to the bottom of is like, what does he mean when he's telling us don't judge? What does he mean by that? What does it look like when I'm judging someone, okay? And I think one of the best ways we can sort of get get our minds around what it looks like when you or I are judging somebody is to think about a judge in a court of law. Okay, a judge in a court of law sits in the, front of the courtroom and he sits in his little space and then you've got the defendant that is right in front of him and then he looks at the defendant and he hears all the evidence and then once he hears all the evidence of the defendant then he decides the guilt or the innocence of the defendant and then once that judge decides the guilt or the innocence of the defendant then he passes his judgment and says you are guilty or you're innocent of this particular thing. And what Jesus is saying to us is don't put yourself in the position of judge towards another person. Don't put yourself in the position of judge toward the actions and the motivations of another person. He's saying you shouldn't look at someone and and, and you be the one that determines the guilt or innocence of them towards some standard that you've set up in your life, okay? Now, why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we be the judge in people's lives? Well, James actually tells us kind of what the big deal is when you're judging somebody else. So don't turn there, just listen. James chapter four, verse 12, he tells us why we shouldn't judge. James says this, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God. James saying, look, there is only one who is able 
to judge, who's able to save and who's able to destroy. And so then he asks a question. He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? The Bible says that the reason, kind of the number one reason that you and I shouldn't judge one another is because there is only one person who ultimately is able to judge man and that is the Lord. God is the only one. Why? God is the only one that sees all the motivations of man's heart. God is the only one who is able to know every story, to know every hurt, to know every sin, every complication in people's lives. And so he is the only one that can see that stuff perfectly. And because of that, he is the only one that's even qualified to judge. And that's the Lord. And so James says, look, because you don't know the motivations of people's hearts. You don't know all their story. You don't know all the complications. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So therefore you leave that to God. You don't put yourself in the position of judge in their life, okay? So now Matthew 7, 2, next part here. What Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna tell us about the danger of judging other people. When you do that, when you push yourself in the judge's seat and you make a declaration, a judgment on someone, here's the danger of it. Matthew 7, 2. Jesus said, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, and so Jesus is really simply saying, because you're not God, you're just a human with limited understanding of people's hearts and people's motivations, that if you judge somebody, if you, if you pronounce a judgment on somebody, then what God is gonna do is that he is going to hold you to that exact same judgment that you just placed on somebody else. Okay, so let's, let's use an example of, of marriage for a second. Let's say you're married and your spouse is not loving you well, right? They're, they're just, they're, they're being unloving for whatever reasons. And so you come to that conclusion, they're not, being, they're not loving me well. And so you pass judgment on them and you look at them one day and say, you are an unloving spouse. What Jesus is saying here is that the moment you do that, that you better make dadgum sure that you are being a loving spouse. You better make absolutely sure that you are meeting the standard that you just put on that other person because in the moment that you do, God is gonna hold you accountable for the standard you just placed in that person's life. And church, that that verse ought to give us pause. That verse ought to make us stop and think for a second because how often do we pass judgment on people when at the same time, some way, shape, form, or fashion, we're not living up to the standard that we're calling other people to live up to, which is why Jesus kind of says the very next thing he says in Matthew 7, 3. He says, why? He's asking a question here. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when when there's a log in your own eye. Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's actually being kind of humorous. He's saying, wait just a second. Why do you think that you're able to even see a speck in another person's eye when there is a log coming out of your eye? You can't do it. You can't even see the speck if there's a log coming out of your own eye. And so guys, this is what Jesus is saying here. It's a pretty famous little section of verses there. 
Jesus is teaching us that the problem with judging other people is that too often you and I are quick to notice the flaws and the failures in other people when at the exact same time we have just as big or bigger flaws in our own lives. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Right? We, we're quick to, to pass judgment on a mean coworker or friend when at the very same time we're, we're being unloving to our spouse or our roommate. We're quick to pass judgment on a person that's, that's greedy and that's living this life of excess when at the very same time we're not generous with our money but we justify it because we have less of it. We're, we're quick to look down or pass judgment on somebody that commits adultery when at the same time might be mired in pornography, okay? I, and let me, this may upset some of you guys what I'm about to say now, but if it does, it might be an indication that you're struggling with this, so just keep that in mind before you email me, all right? We're quick to pass judgment on people that are destroying the imago day of the unborn, but we're slow to pass judgment on, on, on people that are abusing the Imago Day of people of color. You know, at the very same time, we're quick to pass judgment on, on people who are racist, but we're sort of slow um, to, to and keep our mouth shut toward people that are advocating the death of the unborn. And Jesus, what he's saying is that when we do that kind of stuff, when we're calling out the flaws and the failures of other people and pointing them out when we have all this stuff in our own lives that's unrepentant of and not dealt with, Jesus says that is hypocrisy. It's the definition of hypocrisy. The definition of hypocrisy is when you, you notice and you point out another person's flaws and you pass judgment on them when at the very same time you have things in your life that are just, if not more, messed up. Now, how do I know that's the definition of hypocrisy? Because watch what Jesus calls those of us who are doing this. Matthew 7, 4. He says, and how, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And then in verse five, he says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye, okay? Jesus is saying, look, if you have a judgmental spirit towards a person or towards a group of people, when at the same time there are things in your life where you're not meeting God's standards, Jesus, not me, Jesus calls that hypocrisy. He says, you're, you're being a hypocrite in that moment. And Jesus is saying, we gotta stop doing that. He's saying, do not do that. Okay, don't judge. Now, this brings us to kind of a, final point of discussion here that I think is really important. And I talked about it briefly at the beginning of the sermon. Jesus clearly says, don't judge. But at the very same time, again, over and over and over again in the Bible, it calls us as believers to address sin in other people. It calls us to fight for purity in the church. And it tells us over and over again to fight against the injustices of culture. And so how does this work? Okay, since Jesus tells us not to judge, does this mean we, we never um, challenge an unloving spouse? Because we don't want to be judgmental. Um, Jesus tells us not to judge, but does this mean we never challenge or fight against racism or abortion? Because we don't want to be judgmental. Jesus says don't judge, but guys, for crying out loud, we're all sinners. Every 
every single one of us. So does this mean we'd never engage people who are sinning and causing hurt and pain in our lives because we don't want to be hypocrites? Well, the answer actually is no. Bible's absolutely crystal clear that we're to do all those things, but I want you to hear this. But I think what Jesus is getting to the heart of here, don't miss this. What Jesus is getting to the heart of is that we actually do need to do those things. And in just a second, if you pay careful attention, he's gonna tell you, you actually do need to do those things, but the heart of what he's getting at is that we need to do those things in a non-judgmental and God-honoring kind of way. And so I wanna end the sermon today by giving us just some application. And I wanna talk about really quickly here, three ways, or rather three things that kind of need to happen in you and me so that we can engage the sin in others and in the culture that we can help kind of fix and right the wrongs in culture and we can do it without falling into a self-righteous judgmental hypocrisy. So here's three ways if you're taking notes. And we can engage the stuff, engage wrong, sin, hurt, culture without falling into the pharisaical hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And here's number one. Number one is that you have to consider others as more important than yourself. That is step one. For you to be able to engage the sin in others without falling in hypocrisy is you got to consider others as more important than yourself. We see this in Philippians 2.3. Um, Paul says this, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing, no Twitter, no Facebook, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. And so I, guys, I, I thought about this, that is like step number one in how to engage the sin and the wrongs of other people without falling into self-righteousness and self-righteous judgment is to think about that other person as more important than yourself, okay? Because if you're not doing that, if you're not doing that, if you're looking at some group of people out there or you're looking at some person and they're doing something that you hate and you really, in d- deep down in places you don't like to talk about, you think you're better than them, it is impossible not to judge them. You will fall into a judgmental spirit every single time. A natural overflow of, of you thinking you're better than somebody is you're gonna judge them. And I, I, I fell into this many times, but I'll tell you one. And Years ago, it was about 10 years ago, it was about 2008 or nine, and this really famous pastor guy um, tweeted something out that was um, one of, it was just, just stone cold theologically wrong, what he said on Twitter. And, um, and what he said was this, it was something to the effect of, you have to give God permission before he can accomplish his will for your life. And when I read that, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to give God permission for, for, for him to accomplish his will in your life because it's his will and he's God. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And so I'm like, you know what? I got to do something about this. I, can't, I mean, this guy's famous. He's spouting heresy. I can't just sit back and let him do that. So I was like, I've got to respond. And so I, I, I responded in some way and, kind of just blew him up and it was pretty much arrogant and condescending and snarky and felt pretty good about myself, right? 
I'm like, I'm fighting for the sovereignty of God, man. I stood up for God here. And this woman on the thread, and by the way, the, the likes went through the roof. Everybody's like, yeah, man, pile it on. Get him, Carter. You know, this guy's dumb. And this woman tweets back at me and says that I was being judgmental. And at the time, I completely ignored that and blew it off. I'm like, no, man, I stood up for what's right. And this is a stone-cold, dead-wrong statement. That's heresy. I got to stand up for that, so I completely ignored it. But as I, as I read the words of Jesus and I think about sort of what he's saying and how we're supposed to engage the wrongs of society, at the end of the day, I think that that woman was right. I think I was. And here's, here's the reason. Because if I was actually doing what the Bible says and what Jesus says, if I was considering this guy more important than myself, if I actually thought that, and on top of that, not only am I looking at this pastor and going, dude, this guy's more important than me, but two, if I'm first looking at the own, my own logs in my own eyes and worrying about me taking my own logs out before I worry about his, then first and foremost, I just sort of trust God to be the judge. I know that's crazy, but I just sort of trust God to be the judge in that situation and maybe I don't even respond. I just sort of like, God, you're still alive. You know you're sovereign, you deal with him. And maybe I don't even respond. Or if I do respond, if I'm considering him more important than me, if I'm first repenting of my own sin and thinking about my own issues and problems and, and, and dealing with those first, I'm gonna approach him radically different. That if I do just feel like I have to respond, then I do respond, but I respond with love and with respect and with kindness. That's what Jesus is getting at. We're gonna need to address things at times, but how are we doing it? How are you doing it? Does it look like the Pharisees or does it look like Jesus, okay? And guys, responding in that way is not easy to do, okay? How in the world do you look at someone or look at a group of people that is doing something that you hate, that is doing something you would give your life up to stop and consider them more important than you? How in the world do you do that? Well, here's the answer to the question. The only way... You will ever look at a group of people that is doing something you hate or that you think is dead wrong or a person or whatever and think they're more important than you is if when it really sort of hits you in a deep and profound way, that if you were the only person that ever lived on this planet, Jesus Christ would have had to come and die for your sin. When that sort of hits you in a profound way, it changes the way you look at other people. When it really hits you, my sin is just as bad as anybody else or not worse. It'll hit you. Jesus didn't just have to die on a cross for white supremacists. He had to die on a cross for you. Jesus didn't just have to die on a cross for abortion doctors. He had to shed his blood and be tortured and die for you and me. Jesus didn't have to just die on a cross for your messed up husband or your messed up wife or your messed up roommate. He had to die on a cross for you and for your sin. And finally, Jesus didn't have to just die on a cross for pastors with with really bad theology. He had to die on a cross for young, arrogant pastors that think they have all the right theology. And so step one, 
in this, is being able to engage this stuff without falling into judgment and hypocrisy is you gotta, you gotta consider other people as more important than yourself. And the way that you do that is look at the cross and realize he had to die for you too. Number two, here's the second one. Before you, and this, by the way, this is the hardest one in my opinion. This is the hardest one. I think the first one you're like, I get that. That makes sense. Theologically, I can get there. The second one is most of us just completely ignore this one because it's so hard. Because a lot of times when we need to do this, was, this one is in the middle of an argument or it's in the middle of a hurt or it's in the middle of an, a situation where we're, we're wanting to judge somebody because they're being crazy or idiots, all right? And so this is the hard one. Here's number two. Before you challenge another person's sin, first ask God to reveal your own sin and repent of it. Okay, that's, that's step number two in how you engage the sin and the hurt of other people and in the culture, but not fall into hypocrisy according to Jesus. And these are not my words, these are his, I'm about to show you. Before you challenge another person's sin, you first ask God to reveal your own sin and you repent of it, okay? Matthew 7, 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite. First, that's the key word, first, Take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, church, I want you to look at that last sentence there, and I want you to read it real quick just on your own. And I want you to notice if you see anything interesting about that last statement that I sort of caught this week that I've never noticed before. Y'all seeing what Jesus is saying? He's actually saying that it's okay to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's actually saying that you should take the speck out of your brother's eye. But he's saying that before you do that, there's only one way that you will ever see that speck clearly enough to be able to take it out is when you take the stuff out of your own eye. And then once you stop and you take the log out of your own eye, then you can look back up and then you'll be able to see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Let's go back to marriage real quick. But let's just take, let's take for example, an argument with your spouse. Um, and I'm not talking about abuse. I think you handle that radically differently. I'm talking about, I'm talking about your just run-of-the-mill marital bliss argument here, all right? Um, say they do something that's hurtful or wrong. Okay, I think what Jesus is saying here is that the unwise and the ungodly thing to do is just sort of immediately jump in, look at their actions and just make a judgment before you deal with yourself. Jesus says, not me, Jesus says that's hypocrisy when you do that. But what instead Jesus is saying is that the first thing you do before you pass judgment is you stop, you stop. And then you stop and once you stop, you evaluate your own heart. Is there anything, is there any sin in my life? <laughs> Am I doing this in other people, to other people, what they're doing to me? Um, is there anything that I've done to contribute to this argument in any shape, form, or fashion? And by the way, 99.999% of the time, the answer is going to be yes, you contributed it. And so you stop. That's what Jesus is saying. And first, you repent of your own sin. You own your own sin. You turn from your own sin. And Jesus says that it is only then that you're even gonna be able to see the speck in your brother's eye. And guys, um, I was talking to Tyler David, campus pastor. He said something I thought was really profound. We were talking about this. And 
he talked about how the reason that this is so important is because what happens is when you stop and deal with your own sin first before passing judgment on somebody else is it produces empathy for that person. And all of a sudden, they're just not this evil person that stinks and they're sorry, but when you stop and deal with your own sin first, that you sort of begin to see yourself in them. I, I'm a sinner and they're a sinner too. And so you, 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 what it does is it causes you to treat them in the way that you would wanna be treated because you're a sinner. And, and, you, and you do it out of love instead of out of hurt and out of anger and out of hypocrisy. Church, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you doing it at home? Are you doing it in your friendships? Are you doing it on social media? When conflict arises, are you stopping and evaluating your own heart? Because if you're not, there's a good chance you're falling into judgmental hypocrisy. Last page of my notes here, almost done. So we need to have that attitude. I'm a sinner, and it'll change the way you engage other people. Now, did you guys notice at the uh, beginning of the message when I told you the parable, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that I only told you one side of the story? I told you the side of the story that the Pharisee, he stood up and said, God, I thank you like I'm, that I'm not like all these other people. I'm thanking I'm so much better than this tax collector guy. But I didn't tell you what the tax collector prayed. And I wanna share with you what he prayed, because I think that's the heart that Jesus is looking for. In uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 13, don't turn there, just listen. Jesus is speaking. He's sharing what the tax collector prayed. He said, but the tax collector standing far off. In other words, the tax collector didn't even get in the middle of everybody. He kind of went to the corner back over in the temple where nobody could see him. He said, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. This guy's so aware of his own sinfulness. He's so aware of his own need for the redemption of God that he's on his knees and he won't even look up to heaven. And Jesus goes on and says, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I am a sinner. God, I need your mercy. And he felt it so much that he wouldn't even look at heaven. And watch what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said that Pharisee that stood up, that was following all the laws, that stood up and said, hey, I'm better than everybody else. He didn't go to his house justified, but the guy on his knees that wouldn't even look at heaven and say, God, have mercy on me because I'm so messed up. Jesus says, that's the guy that's gonna get saved. In church, I think that's the heart that Jesus is looking for in us before we engage in any of this stuff. I think Jesus is screaming from the rooftops is that if we don't have that heart, then we have no business engaging in the sin of other people because when we do, we're gonna come across like the Pharisee and we're gonna do it every single time. But if we do have that heart, when we do engage, we'll do it in kindness and love in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing. 
So the three things we need to do to be able to, to live out this biblical call to engage sin without judging people. Number one, consider other people more important than yourself. Number two, before you challenge another's sin, first ask God to reveal your own sin and repent of it. And here's the last one. When you do engage, when you, when you do engage those that are in sin and those who have wronged you, you do it like Jesus. Realize they're more important to you. Deal with your own sin first. And then when you do engage it, do it like Jesus, not like the Pharisees. I want to tell you one last story. We're done. Story of uh, Jesus and the Pharisees' engagement with the woman caught in adultery. Pretty famous story. There's the, the law said that you couldn't commit adultery. It, it could be punishable by death. The Pharisees caught this woman in the act of adultery. They dragged her out into the middle of the street with everybody watching and they had picked up rocks and they were gonna stone her because of her sin. They look over and they see Jesus. They're like, oh, that's that Jesus dude's always preaching and stuff. They bring him over here and they say, Jesus, hey, the law says that the adultery is punishable by death. Um, you know, do you wanna join in? And Jesus looks up at him and he says this. He said, hey, fellas, whichever one of you guys has never sinned before, you go ahead and throw the first rock. Whichever one of you guys has never sinned before, you, you be the one to pass judgment. And the scripture says that they all dropped their rocks and walked away. Now the story didn't end there. And the story could have ended there and it'd be a really cool story. But it doesn't. It says that Jesus actually engaged this woman on her sin. Jesus got down on his hands and his knees and he looked her in the eyes. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? Where are your condemners? She said, Jesus, they're gone. And he looked at her in the eye and he said, neither do I condemn you. He's like, I don't condemn you either. If there was anybody in the group that had the right to judge, if there's anybody in the group that had the right to condemn, if there's anybody in the group that had a right to accuse, it's Jesus, he was perfect. And he looks at her and he says, I see your sin, but I'm not gonna accuse you either. But then do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus looked at her and said, now, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Both the Pharisees, this is what I want you to hear today. I'm done. Both the Pharisees and Jesus confronted this woman on her sin. But the Pharisees did it with rocks. And Jesus did it with loving, grace, mercy, kindness. Which one are you, how, which one of those examples are you following? Are you engaging the wrong and the sin of others like the Pharisees with rocks? Are you engaging the wrong sin of the people like Jesus with grace and love and kindness and mercy? Church, do we fight injustice? Yes, we do. Do we engage in the fight for the purity of Christians in the church? Absolutely. Do we challenge and address people that have hurt us and sinned against us 100%? But Jesus is screaming from the rooftops, let's do it like him not like the Pharisees because the whole world is watching. And we're gonna sing a song today that we've sung many times in this church. It's about 
the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and how it's our only hope. And the reason I chose that song in this time is because it's for us to live this out, out there, this non-judgmental Christ exalting way, it's gonna take us realizing that the only good in us is from the person of Jesus Christ. There's a line in this, in this song that says, you're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you now. And all that's talking about when he says, this line says, you're my one defense. It means that there's gonna be a day where you're gonna stand before the Lord. You're gonna stand by yourself before the judge. And if he asks you the question, why should I let you into my kingdom? You got one defense. You got one defense. You better not say, because I was better than all these other people. Because when they were doing all that, I wasn't doing all that. When, and vice versa, God, because I did this, this, and this. If he asks you the question, why should I let you into my kingdom? You better point to Jesus real fast and say, because of him, because of Jesus. He's my one defense. The blood he shed is the only hope I got. He's my righteousness. The only way we'll ever live this out without falling into the stuff the world's falling into is when we realize that. So let's sing this today, remembering that he alone and his blood is our defense. Let's pray. With her head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to take just a second and, and, and see if the Holy Spirit would reveal in your life if there's any situation where any person should not live in this out. Take some time today and ask the Lord to help you to consider that person, that group of people is more important than yourself. Ask the Lord to reveal any sin in your own heart, any logs in your own eyes that you need to remove. Ask him to remove them. Ask him to reveal them. And then finally, ask him to give you the strength to love that group of people, to love that person the way that he would. Lord Jesus, this is such a difficult verse. Father, help us to be faithful to this, to be people that stand up against the wrongs of society and fight for purity in ourselves, our friends, our church, but at the same time, don't be hypocrites. Help us to display the love of Jesus the way that you did towards that woman that was messed up in some pretty bad sin. So that when people look at us, Lord, they would not see judgmental Christians, but they would see people that are are full of love and care. Father, thank you for giving us such an incredible example in the person of Jesus. We thank you that he is our defense today, that he is our righteousness, that he died in our place, that we have a savior in him. Let us be people that worship him today for all that he's done and all he's gonna do. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.